Well, this morning we are launching a new series called All-Time Favorite. All-Time Favorite. And what's happening in this series is different communicators are going to be talking about their favorite passage of Scripture. And I don't know if you noticed, but out here on the wall... Uh, we have some creative artwork that happens with, it, with every new series, and I just wanted to acknowledge that amazing chalk art, and there's a gentleman behind it, and I just want to throw a little applause his way. Scott Brinkley is on our staff. He's our creative director. Yeah, that is Scott, and the work that, the creative work that he does is so amazing. So if you've not stopped by the wall that introduces this new series, all-time favorite, I would encourage you to stop by and check it out. And if you see Scott about our campus, would you just give him a hug and say, hey, Scott, thanks for sharing your gifts with us. And what a blessing that we have so many different gifts in the body of Christ and that individuals bless others as they share those gifts, right? And that's what Scott does for us. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to Scott. But in this series, All-Time Favorites, we're going to be talking about What's our favorite verse of Scripture? And we probably all have what we would identify as a favorite verse or a favorite passage of Scripture. So let me just ask you that this morning. How many of you would say, I have a favorite verse of Scripture, a favorite passage? So what would, what would that be? John 3.16. Yeah, that's probably at the top in the first service. Someone said that was the first one that was identified. We can all say in John 3.16, we can anchor ourselves to that. Someone else. Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Matt? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to talk about this morning, that this morning. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You got my, that's my favorite passage of Scripture, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, someone, one more. Isaiah 43, 1. Oh, 31. Thank you. 40, 31. Um, that's what, that's, um, we'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. Is that, Yeah. Yeah, so we probably all have what we would identify as a favorite verse. And we, we value all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? God, in, Holy Spirit inspired God's word that carries authority. We value all of God's word. But I think we would all say, and there's one verse or there's one passage that I've really just anchored myself to. That I would say, hey, that's my, that's my favorite verse. That's my favorite passage of scripture. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear, again, different communicators talking about what is their favorite verse. But before I get to my favorite verse of scripture, I want to share with you my favorite joke. I don't have many times left on this platform and behind this pulpit, so I've got to get in my favorite jokes when I can. Now, this joke, just so you know, this joke has nothing to do with the sermon. I just think laughter is good for the soul. So here's my favorite joke. It's about squirrels. How many of you know squirrels can be a problem? Recently, I was talking with actually two different families in our Grace Covenant family who were telling me about their squirrel problem. And one family said, Pastor, man, these, these pesky squirrels, they created $1,000 worth of damage in our attic. Now, what squirrels can be a problem. Well, there was this problem with squirrels in the church, and different churches responded to the squirrel problem in different ways. The Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do about their squirrel infestation. After much prayer and consideration, they concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there 
and that they shouldn't interfere with God's divine will, so they did nothing about the squirrels. Interesting. The Baptist church had a bit different approach. The squirrels had taken an interest in the baptistry. So the deacons met, and they decided to put a water slide on the baptistry and let the squirrels drown themselves. The squirrels liked the water slide and unfortunately knew instinctively how to swim, so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week. The Lutheran church had a bit of a different approach. They decided that they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures. So they humanely trapped their squirrels and set them free near the Baptist church. (laughs) Two weeks later, the squirrels were back when the Baptists took down the water slide. But the Catholic church, the Catholic church came up with a very creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of the church. Now they only see them on Christmas and Easter. Not much was heard, though, from the Jewish synagogue. They took the first squirrel and circumcised him, and they haven't seen a squirrel since. So if you have a squirrel problem, now you know what to do. Well, that's my favorite joke. Now let me get to my favorite passage of Scripture. As a kid growing up in Sunday school, one of the focuses of the little country church I grew up in was memorizing Scripture. Matter of fact, the teachers rewarded us for memorizing Scripture. The first passage of Scripture I ever memorized was John 3.16. The second passage of Scripture I memorized, I was about four years of age, was Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And little did I know at four years of age that that verse would become like my favorite passage of Scripture. That verse, or those two verses, would become what I call today my life verses. It's these two verses that I've anchored my life to that's brought both encouragement and challenge and direction for me throughout my life. But within these two verses, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, I believe we have the key to how to do life. I think we have the key to discovering more life in life. I believe we have the key to discover how to honor God with our lives. We have the key to success, not as the world defines success, but as, as God defines success. You know, bookstores and Amazon have endless books that will supposedly guide you to success. If you were to Google books on how to win or how to have success, you would have this, this endless list of options. They can tell you how to have more. They can tell you how to gather more. They can tell you how to gain notoriety, but they don't tell you how to discover more life in life. And I believe God, who's the creator of life, has given us that answer, how to, how to find that life, how to find that success. And I believe it's here in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Now, within these two verses, there's, there's our part and there's God's part. There's our action, and then there's God's response. And to be honest with you this morning, I'm not so much concerned about God doing his part, but I'm really concerned about us doing our part. Or let me say it, I'll take personal ownership, but I'm concerned about me doing my part. And God's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promise. He will respond. So there's our part and there's There's God's part. You know, so many of God's promises are conditional. His love is unconditional, 
But to walk in his blessings and to enjoy his favor, we must choose to follow his ways. Listen, friends, if we activate faith, he does the miraculous. If we move, he moves. If we follow, he acts. So if you can think of it like this, this is kind of the farmer coming out in me. We must choose to sow the right seed. If you, if you can think about it, if you think about it, life is a lot like sowing seed. The seed you sow begins to shape the life you experience. Let me say that again. The seed you sow begins to shape the life that you experience. So if we want to honor God with our lives and experience his favor, then we need to consider the type and the quality of seed that we're sowing. Well, this passage, the scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, gives us some insight, I believe, into the seed that we need to be sowing or the choices that we need to be making. The passage is on the screen. Probably most of you are familiar with it, but I want us to read this together this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Let's read together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You know, oftentimes I read passages of scripture in other versions or other paraphrases just to get a different perspective or maybe a different view on that passage. And I really like the way the message paraphrase states this verse. Listen to how it reads. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Isn't that good? Trust God from the bottom of our hearts. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. So as I said earlier, within this passage of scripture, we have our part, we have God's part. We have what we're directed to do, and then we have how God will respond to our choices and actions. So let's begin with our part. As I look at this passage of scripture, there's, there's three steps or maybe three responsibilities for us. So here's our part. The first is we want to trust completely. Tell your neighbor this morning you want to trust completely. Go ahead and tell them. You want to trust completely. The, verse part, the first part of verse 5 begins with this challenge. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. To trust in the Lord means this. It means to be all in. To trust completely means that we're fully reliant on. And recently I had a friend, for, for whatever reason, wanted to go skydiving. Now my, my brain can't even connect with that. Like why would anyone ever wanna jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Like I don't get that. I'm, I'm not that kind of risk taker. But my friend, again, for whatever reason, he wanted to go skydiving. And since it was his first time to go skydiving, he had to do something called a tandem skydive. In tandem skydiving, you are actually strapped to someone else who obviously has some experience. They're the ones who have the parachute. But get this, you're attaching yourself to someone that you met 30 minutes earlier. <laughs> Think about that. You know absolutely nothing about them. You don't know if they're wacko. You don't know if they're crazy. You know nothing about them. And you're strapping yourself to them, hoping that at the right time, they're going to pull the parachute cord. 
I think that's a picture of what it looks like to completely trust, to be fully, fully reliant on, to put all of your trust in. And when you trust God with all of your heart, it means this, it means that you leave no room for doubt. You're fully confident and fully persuaded that God is reliable, that he is trustworthy. Now, the word trust here implies both a, a decision to trust God, but also a commitment to, to create a habit of trusting. Now, simply put, trusting God isn't a decision we make in our head. That's the first step, that we have to follow it up with action. We begin to live our lives fully reliant on. We begin to make decisions fully trusting in. You know, this kind of trust in God comes from knowing him. Again, the trust comes out of relationship and experience. The more you know God and the more you experience his faithfulness, the easier it is to trust. Well, because you have experience. You have relationship. And out of that trust has, trust has grown. Recently, my wife and I bought a new truck for our retirement adventures. It wasn't a it wasn't a new truck, but it was new to us. Like they sprayed something in it to make it smell new. That, that kind of new. When we bought this new truck to pull our camper with as we're heading out on our adventures. Um, and let's say someone came up to me, total stranger, I'd never met them before, and they said, uh, hey, Pharaoh, can I have the keys to your truck? You know what I would say? Absolutely not. No. I don't know you. I don't know how you're going to drive it. I don't know how you're going to take care of it. No, I'm not giving you the keys to the truck. But if my friend Brian, how many of you know Brian Joy? Isn't he the sweetest guy you ever met? If my good friend Brian came to me and said, hey, Pharaoh, can I have the keys to your truck? Not the old one, the new one. I would hand my keys to him, no questions asked. Because this is what I know about my friend Brian, because we have experience, we have relationship. This is what I would know about my friend Brian. He's going to take care of the truck the way I would take care of it. Not only that, he's going to wash it, wax it, fill it with fuel, and return it to me. That's what I know about my friend Brian. Out of that relationship, there's trust. So I can freely give him the keys. If you can think of it like this, trusting God completely means this. You give him the keys of your life. Full control. Here's the keys, God. You direct my life. Or you drive my life. So the first step in our part is we want to we trust completely. And leads us to the second step in our part, and it's this, it's to live humbly. Notice the second half of verse five says, lean not to your own understanding. You've probably figured this out by now, but we're so limited. God is unlimited, he's without limits, but, but we're so limited. So much that we don't know. The longer I live, the more I become aware of there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that, that we can't do. See, being humble is, is simply acknowledging these facts. We need help. That's living humbly. And it's also connected to how we relate to others. 
Several years ago, I, I read a book. Maybe you've read this leadership book, this business book. It was authored by Jim Collins. The title of the book is From Good to Great. And in this book, Jim Collins and some of his associates did a study. They did a study on companies that went from good to great and maintained that over a long period of time. They outperformed and outpaced their competitors. And they dug deeper into that and they said, what made these companies go from good to great and again for years have just outrageous effectiveness? And as they, as they performed this study of these Fortune 100 companies, you've heard of Fortune 500, but like 100 were even narrowing the group of these companies that were, again, good to great, what made them that way? And they discovered five characteristics that each of these companies had. And one of the five was this. They had a, what they call a level five leader, a level five CEO. Then they dug deeper into that. What, what is it about these CEOs, whether male or female, that made them so excellent? The first thing they discovered didn't surprise them. They had strong self-will. In other words, they had a drive to make things happen. You would expect that. But the second thing they discovered about these level five leaders astounded them. It surprised them. And it was what they called a quality of humility that brought effectiveness out of their lives, out of their leadership, which positioned them to lead these companies to greatness. I want to read just a couple sentences out of the book. It says, the good to great leaders never wanted to become larger than life heroes. They never aspired to be put on a pedestal or become unreachable icons. They were seemingly ordinary people producing extraordinary results. They led with humility. Amazing. It was their humility that, that brought them effectiveness. So, so what is humility? As I think of humility, I've broken it down into, to, I think there's two parts to humility. The, the first part is, is this. We live with an awareness of our God. To live humbly means I'm aware of my great need of God. It, it's living with this awareness that, like, if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Like, we're up a creek without a paddle. Like having that desperate need for God, that's what humility looks like. There's an old hymn of faith that I, that I often sing or try to sing. Um, I don't sing very well. You can ask the staff because I sing all the time around the office and they have to put up with my singing. But there's, there's an old hymn that, um, that I sing because it's so true of my life. The title of the hymn is every, uh, excuse me, I need thee every hour. Maybe you recall that old hymn of the faith. Here's how the chorus goes. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Folks, that's a reality. Man, we need God in our lives. We were created to run on him. Like, how does life work? Life works as we are connected in a life-giving relationship with, with God. So humility is first. It's this awareness. Man, we need God. We're desperate for God. And the second part, second part of humility is that we live with a mentality of, 
of others first, not self. Rather than, rather than looking out for yourself, you're concerned for others. You serve others. You put, you put others first. You're not just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about, about others. That's what humility looks like. That's how it's lived out in our day-to-day interactions. And Jesus probably summarized it best in Matthew 20, 25. Listen to what Jesus said. He was speaking to the disciples. He's having this interaction with these men that he's discipling that's going to be the future leaders of the church. Listen to what he says to them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Basically, Jesus was saying this, the way up is is down. The way to greatness is, is to become a servant. Then the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul picks up this concept in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Listen how the scripture reads. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of Christ. And he goes on to talk about how we need to follow the model of Christ. So living with humility is having an awareness of our need for God while freely serving others. And when we do this, what happens is we set ourselves up for God's help. We set ourselves up for God's favor. Because James chapter 4 verse 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives favor to the humble. He goes on in verse 10 of that same chapter to say, humble yourselves before God and, and he will lift you up. He will elevate you as you choose to live humbly. So we want to trust completely. We want to live humbly. Here's the third step in our part. We want to follow obediently. The first part of Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. Or, Or we might say it like this, In all your ways, follow his ways. In all your ways, we want to follow his ways. You know, there's a flaw in our Western Christianity today. Somehow we've been deceived to believe that we can do what we want and we can live however we want and at the same time enjoy the blessing of God and the favor of God. And that's simply not true, friends. If you want God's best, you have to go God's way. Really simple. If you want God's best, if you want to live in God's favor, if you want to live in God's blessing, what do you do? You choose his way. John Calvin, the great theologian, said it like this, we cannot rely on God's promises without obeying his commands. Let me say it again. We cannot rely on God's promises without obeying his commands. Today, we often have what I call dysfunctional Christianity because people are claiming promises but ignoring direction. They're praying the promises of God's word while ignoring the directives of God's word. And then they're wondering why this doesn't work. Because there's a disconnect. There's a, there's a misalignment. Experience, 
experiencing God's blessing, experiencing his favors connected to this, following obediently. It's obedience that's the key that unlocks God's treasure of blessing in our lives. So obeying reaps rewards. Disobeying brings consequence. It's probably nowhere better to find than in Deuteronomy 28. I would encourage you sometime today, jot that down, Deuteronomy 28. Read the whole chapter. This is, this is basically the summary of the chapter. The first few verses, the first 14 to be exact, talks about what happens when you choose to obey. Then verse 15 to the end of the chapter talks about what happens when you choose to disobey. Really clear. Black and white. As a matter of fact, let me read just two verses out of that chapter. Deuteronomy 28.1 says, If you fully obey, catch that, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. It talks about how you'll be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed going out and blessed coming in. Basically, the scripture says God will bless everything you put your hands to if you follow his commands. Verse 15, though, we get to the contrast. In in Deuteronomy 28, 15, the scripture says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. In other words, he's saying, basically, life's not gonna go well for you. And the summary of Deuteronomy 28 is that the blessing and the favor of God is connected to obedience. Three things you need to understand about obedience. The first is obedience is a choice, right? Every day, as you move into your day, you get to choose. Am I going to obey or disobey? Am I going to choose to follow or am I going to choose to go my own way? Not only is obedience a choice, but obedience is an attitude. It's an outlook that you choose to process life with. Doesn't mean we always get it right. Listen, the pressure's off. There's nobody that's perfect in the room today. It's not about always getting it right, but it's it's an outlook, it's an attitude. I I want to honor God. I want to follow his ways. Not only is obedience an attitude, but obedience is also learned. It's learned. If you're a parent here today, you fully get this. How many of you know our children don't come out of the womb just doing everything right? They don't come out of the womb being little angels. No, what you have to teach them the difference between right and wrong. You have to teach them. You have to bring discipline in their lives to direct their lives. Why? Because obedience is learned. Listen, what's true for your children is true for you today. And obedience is It's something that we learn. It's a discipline that we embrace. And as we embrace it, it's then that we discover God's blessing. So our part, according to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, is to trust completely, to live humbly, and to follow obediently. And as we do our part, it opens the way for God to act. It opens the way for God to do his part. And the last part of Proverbs 3, 6 says, and he, being God, and he will make your paths straight. Now, that sounds great, but what does that mean? What does it mean in God's going to make my paths straight? I think it means at least these four things. I'm going to give these to you quickly, and then I'm going to be finished. 
The first is this. God will bring his presence and his provision for your life. As you are trusting completely, living humbly, following obediently, what's God going to do? He's going to bring his presence and provision. You know, as we think of God's presence, there's the omnipresence of God, meaning that God is everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. But throughout scripture, we also find there's something that we call the manifest presence of God. Where God showed up in someone's life or in a situation and God did something that was absolutely supernatural, miraculous, that was beyond human comprehension, beyond human uh, understanding. We call that the manifest presence of God. Listen, as you do your part, the first part of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, then God does what he brings his presence and his provision. I've seen this so many times. In my 28 years of leading Grace Covenant, I was reflecting on this even this past week. We have engaged in more than 10 major building programs, major building remodels. How many of you know if you, if you build something, it takes what? Have, have, have you priced out a house recently? It takes money. And we've had, in my 28 years, over 10 major building initiatives, remodels. And in each of those, we would bring our leadership team together, elders, council, pastoral staff, and we would pray and say, God, what's your plan? What's your will? What do you want? And as we gain clarity of direction, then we would step into that. We're following God's direction. And this is what I can tell you time and time and time again. God showed up. He manifested his presence. He manifested his provision. Listen, we didn't just show up where we're at today. And there's a lot of God stories or a lot of stories of God's favor and his grace where he manifests his presence and his provision in phenomenal ways. And I believe it happened. Why? Because we were trusting completely. We were just kind of living humbly. And and as best we could, we were trying to follow obediently. And I believe the same will happen in your life. God will bring his presence and his provision. Not only that, but he will work in your life for your good. And we're talking about God's part. What's he going to do? He's going to work in your life for your good. Philippians 2.13, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. What God working in you, for you, not only for your good, but the good of his kingdom. So when you set your life to honor God, he will work in amazing ways for your good. He just, he just shows up and he does things that's mind-boggling. Like he takes situations what, when others might mean for something to be harmful for you, he turns it for your good. I can't tell you how many times in my 28 years of leading here at Grace Covenant, he's done that. Where individuals have set out to slander and he's turned it for good. You know, not everybody here at Grace Covenant is an angel. You might not know that, but I'm just kidding. A little side joke. But he will. God will take what others meant for harm and he'll turn it for your benefit. Well, because you set your heart to honor him. There there may be times that there's this intense struggle or adversity. You know what God does? He leverages that for your growth and development. But he's working for your good. 
When there seems to be no way and no answer, God will make a way. He'll work in your life for your good. Proverbs 13, 21 from the, from the uh, New Living Translation, I think maybe summarizes this principle best. It says that trouble chases after the sinners, but God's blessings chase after the righteous. Get a picture of that. The goodness of God chasing after your life. Yeah, that's what happens as we align ourselves to God's will and, and God's way. But it doesn't stop there. As we trust God completely and live humbly, as we follow obediently, God will accomplish more in your life and through your life than you ever thought possible. Beyond what you could ever imagine. He will multiply your effectiveness. It'll be miraculous. Now, I'm far from perfect, but throughout my life, I've tried to live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And in that, God has honored that effort in my life. And it's been an amazing journey. I remember 1986, actually it began in 1985, 1986, two amazing things happened in my life. The first is I married my wife. Probably the smartest decision I ever made. The second amazing thing that happened in my life is my wife and I, newly married, packed up everything we had and went to Bible college. I gotta tell you about the Bible college deal. My dad was pastoring a little country church of about 50 people in the hills of the Ozark Mountains. He was bivocational, that means you work on the farm. He worked on the farm six days a week and he preached on Sunday. But my dad and I concocted this great plan. Basically, we, this is what we told God. God, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, Farrell's gonna go away to Bible college for one year and he's gonna learn all he can learn in one year. And then the plan was that dad and I had figured out I was gonna come back to this little country church and I was gonna be the assistant pastor to my dad pastoring this little church of 50 people in the hills of Arkansas. Obviously, God had a different plan. Obviously, God had something greater. It wasn't one year of Bible college. It turned into three years of Bible college, or excuse me, four years of Bible college. Uh, from there, I came on staff here at Grace Covenant, left for a season, eventually came back and uh, get my years mis mixed up. 1995, I came back to Grace Covenant as the lead pastor. And I can tell you, What I've experienced the last 28 years has been beyond anything I could have ever dreamt. If you could have said, Pharaoh, write out the greatest plan you could dream of for your life, what I've experienced has been greater. It's been more amazing. And listen, it's not, this is, this is the critical point. It's not because I'm so smart. It's not because I'm such a great leader. Listen, you, you, you don't have to live with me. I live with me. I know me quite well. I know the challenges in my own life. It's not because I'm the brightest. It's not because I'm the most talented. It's not because I'm the most gifted. It's simply because I've made myself available for God to do his work in my life. And it's been so much more.
Can I ever imagine thousands upon thousands of people have come to know Christ as their Savior? We've planted churches and built church buildings in nations around the world. We've served the poor. We've seen God do amazing things. So much more. And that's what happens when we trust God completely. And when we say, I'm going to live humbly, I'm going to follow obediently. God says, okay, I'm going to do something greater in your life and through your life than you could ever imagine. I'm going to multiply your effectiveness. It's good. It's been so good. Here's the final thing that God will do as we trust completely, as we live humbly, as we follow obediently. He will bring you to divine encounters and God opportunities. He'll open doors for you and he'll bring opportunities that you could have never created on your own. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Simply stated, you will live in the miraculous because you put your trust in a God who does the miraculous. So what's their part? Three things. Let's say this together. Are you with me? Let's say the three things, the first three things in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, leading into 6. Three things that's their part. The first is to trust completely, to live humbly, and to follow obediently. As we process life in this way, what happens is it opens the way, it opens the door for God to work in amazing ways in our lives. And then our lives become living testimonies of his grace and his favor. That's it's God. It's what he's done. Pastor Mark Batterson in one of his books makes this statement. When you stay humble and hungry, there's no limit to what God can do in you and through you. Let me say that again. When you stay humble and you stay hungry, there's no limit to what God can do in you and God can do through you. So may we be humble, living with an awareness of our great need for God, and may we be hungry, hungry for God and hungry for the things of God. And if you make this aim, this your aim and, and your ambition, then you'll not be disappointed and you'll discover more life in life. And God will do amazing things in your life for your good and the good of his kingdom. Amen. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you today for your outrageous love for us. And God, for for that of your desire to bring, Lord, the fullness of all that you are to us and through us. Wow, God, so much more than we ever deserved. And we're grateful this morning for your work in our lives, for your goodness to our lives. For your presence and your power that you, you manifest in just amazing ways, Lord, even ways beyond that we can define. And God, for that, we're grateful. Holy Spirit, help us to trust completely, to live humbly, to follow obediently. 
with every head bowed and eye closed as well for those watching online, if you're here this morning or again, viewing the service, if you're here today and you, you would just say, it's my desire, I, I want to trust God completely. I want to live humbly. I want to follow obediently. Listen, it doesn't mean you're always gonna get it right. And the pressure's off. This is not about perfection. It's about you having a desire, saying, God, I want to follow you obediently. But if you're here today and say, God, I want to trust you completely, fully rely on you. I, I, I want to live humbly. I want to follow obediently. I, I want to ask if you would just stand to your feet. If you're saying, hey, that's me, pastor, that's me. Today, that's the desire of my life. I want to walk that out every day in every way of my life. I just want to trust God more. I just want to walk humbly before him. I just want to follow obediently in his ways. Not only here physically present, but if you're watching online, you would just say, hey, that's me. I, I, I want to live that out. Then wherever you're at, in your living room, in a hotel room, I want you to stand as well. God, here we are today. And we just bring ourselves as broken people before you, a holy God. We, we're saying today, God, we want to honor you in our lives and with our lives. And Holy Spirit, we're asking today that you would help us to fully rely on, to, to trust completely in a God who loves us outrageously. Holy Spirit, would you help us live humbly with that awareness of our need for you, desperate for you, and Lord, humbly serving others. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to follow obediently, to learn obedience, to align our way to your way. Holy Spirit, help us every day to grow in obedience. Because God, we wanna open the way for you to do your part, for you to bring your greatness into our lives, into our families, into our homes, and through our lives to a broken world that's so desperate for hope and help. So Lord, as we're standing today, we're simply saying, bring your greatness. Bring your greatness, Lord. The fullness of all that you are and all that you have for us. God, what we're saying today is we're candidates for that. You are great, God. Bring your greatness. This morning, I want us to conclude in this way. We're going to sing out these words, great are you, Lord. And I, what I would invite you to this morning, may this be more than just a song you sing, but it may, may it be your prayer. God, bring your greatness. Bring your greatness in my life.
Well, this morning, not only do we proclaim the greatness of God, but we invite that, not only into our lives, but through our lives, to a broken world around us, that they might experience the wonder of God, that your life might be a living testimony of His grace and His favor, because His greatness has come to your life and flowing through your life. Well, I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come as we conclude today. We have leaders available to pray with you, to pray for you. If you have a physical need, financial need, relational need, what we believe today is that God is able. So we have leaders who are standing ready to pray with you, to speak God's word over your life. So if you have a need, please come and see them. If you're here today and you've, you've never made a decision to step over the line of faith to receive Christ as your Savior, I would invite you, please come and talk with one of these leaders. Listen, greatest decision you can ever make. Greatest decision. Defining point in your life. So if you've not made that decision, listen, God loves you outrageously. He's got a plan for your life. So embrace that of his plan. So come and talk with one of these leaders. Also, the communion tables are open. If you'd like to come and celebrate communion, we have that available for you. But my prayer for you as you go into your week is may God bring his greatness to your life and through your life. May he bless you. And as he does, friend, never forget he's blessed you to be a blessing. Amen. Amen. Have an awesome week.